Last week we had basically our introduction to our series on guilt. And this week we're really going to be able to get into the meat of the message, really what the Bible says about it. So let's go ahead and pray one last time. Dear Jesus, I love you. Thank you so much uh, for this church. God, I pray that you help us to reach this town for you, God. Lord, I know there's a lot of times where we can get distracted by a lot of the goings-on around a church, God, but I pray that we never forget why we're here. God, we love you, and we praise you. We thank you for what you've done already. We look forward to you moving throughout the rest of this service. In your name we pray. Amen. Last week we learned that the only place that guilt has in a believer's life is when we have open and unrepentant sin in our lives. If we've actively decided that we're going to live in sin instead of live in fellowship with God, that is the only time guilt should rule and reign in our lives. We also talked about how Christ does not bring up our past sins that he's already forgiven us for. We also talked about how guilt is not a good motivator and how if we attempt to live motivated by guilt, that it won't last and eventually we'll begin to resent God. See, our service to Christ should only flow out of the abundance of our love for him. Last week we talked about as well that in Romans 8.1 it says there is now no condemnation for them that are in Christ Jesus. Praise the Lord for that, right? If we'll walk after the, uh, not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. So if we constantly uh, live feeling guilty in our Christianity, something is wrong that's not of God. Why? Because now there is no condemnation. See, there's something interesting, though. Just two verses before that, in chapter 7 of Romans, you know, the Bible originally wasn't divided into chapters, so we've put these things in there so that we could navigate the Bible. So just two verses ahead of Romans chapter 8 and verse 1, Paul says, O wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from this body of death? Now that seems a little bit contradictory, doesn't it? Paul's like, I am a wretched man, but how does that mix and marry with that there's no condemnation? Well, the truth is, is you've probably felt that way at one point in your life too, huh? I know when I sin and when I begin to dwell on what I've done, I can begin to realize that I'm not worthy and that I am not who I wish I was. So here in chapter 7, Paul is saying, oh, wretched man that I am, that is what he felt about himself. But understand, that is not what God felt about him. Just two verses later, he says, but between me and Jesus, there is no condemnation. Isn't that awesome? Isn't that wonderful? This morning, we're going to look at two people in God's word, and we're going to contrast uh, how they were motivated to fellowship and follow Christ. In Luke chapter 10, in verse 38, it says that Jesus entered a village, and the name of that village was Bethany. And a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. And she had a city, uh, sister, excuse me, she had a sister called Mary, who sat at the feet of Jesus and listened to his teaching. But Martha was distracted with much serving. And she went up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her then to help me. 
bossy, right? <laughs> but the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you're anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen that good portion, which shall not be taken away from her. In this passage, Jesus' ministry is in full swing. He just had fed multitudes. People were following all over the place. In fact, he had just sent 70 missionaries out into uh, this city of Bethany to go and heal people. And he went and to tell them about Jesus. Things are going amazing in Jesus' ministry. The Jesus revolution was booming. The crowds were huge. The hysteria was in full effect. And Jesus comes into this town of Bethany after preaching the sermon of the good Samaritan. And if you could picture it, I imagine it'd be like any other uh, big celebrity that would come into town. The crowd was just thick. A lot of people were vying for the attention of the Messiah. But Jesus zeroed in on two people, Mary and Martha. Martha was so excited. She couldn't stand it. She welcomed Jesus into her house. Imagine what it's like to have Jesus at the peak of his ministry to pick your house in a city full of people to come and stay with. But then Martha panics. She freaks out. The house isn't clean enough. My dishes aren't nice enough. Jesus won't be comfortable enough. I'm not even sure I have enough chairs for all the disciples. What am I going to do? The Bible says that Martha was cumbered about with much serving. She was distracted. She was overoccupied. But see, if I think you look past those symptoms, I think what you would see at the root of Martha's life was that she did not feel worthy enough for Jesus. She did not feel like she had enough for him. Inadequacy, guilt, stress, anxiety. And because of that, she was in the kitchen serving instead of like Mary at the feet of Jesus. She was trying to make things better. She was trying to clean things up. She was trying to be presentable instead of spending time with Jesus. Remember last week we talked about how Christians often try to motivate each other with guilt. And if you've been like me all this week, I've caught myself, oh, oh that man, that sounded like I was trying to motivate you with guilt. I better stop doing that. But Martha... Colt pulls the guilt card big time in this passage. She throws Mary right under the bus to Jesus. She says, hey, look, Jesus, I am doing everything around here. Mary is doing nothing. Jesus, don't you care about how much I'm doing for you? Jesus, don't you see how everything that I'm doing for you and how, Martha, or how Mary is doing nothing? Jesus, don't you love me more because of all that I'm doing? Tell Mary to help me. From this passage, I imagine Jesus stopping Martha mid-sentence. Martha! Martha! As if to calm her down. He stops her right in the middle of her stress. Martha, you are anxious and troubled about a lot of things. And I know how you're feeling. And I know what you're thinking. But Martha, you have missed the point. Jesus had come to that house to spend time with them. Not to be impressed. Jesus had come uh, to, to minister to them and to be with them. But all Martha could think about was that she hadn't done enough. She hadn't cleaned enough. She might not have enough food. She even tried to guilt Mary into doing what she thought was important 
and pull her away from that most important thing, that one thing. What was that one thing that Mary was really focused on? Later in John uh, 12, verse 2, Jesus is at their house once again, and you kind of get a little bit of a picture of what Mary's heart was. It says, so they gave a dinner for Jesus there. Martha served, classic Martha, right? And Lazarus was on uh, one of those reclining with him at the table. Lazarus, once again, is the brother that was raised from the dead. Spoiler alert there. But Martha's serving, and it says this. Mary, therefore, took a pound of expensive ointment made from pure nard. And that's uh, an ointment that is worth 300 denarii. That's a year's worth of her wages. And this is what she did with it. She took that ointment and anointed the feet of Jesus. And she wiped her feet with his hair. And the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. Again, we see Martha was serving supper, but Mary was worshiping at the feet of Jesus. Were there things that Mary could have been doing and other ways she could have occupied herself? Absolutely. But nothing was more important to her than spending time with Jesus. She wasn't trying to impress him with her deeds or pay him back. No, she was willing to get on her knees and humiliate herself by wiping his feet with her hair to show how much she appreciated him. And Jesus makes it clear that Martha was the one that was missing something. That one thing that was needful. The one thing that was necessary. Mary understood it, but Martha didn't get it. Martha thought she was the one that was right. Martha thought she was the one that was doing everything the right way. And, and instead of seeing Mary and what Mary was doing and being excited and saying, hey, maybe I should do that too. No, she threw her under the bus and she tried to guilt her. And if we're honest, most of us are like Martha. We're awesome at being stressed out. We're awesome at feeling terrible about ourselves. Distractions are a major part of our lives with our phones, our friends, work, kids, sports, many things to think about. Martha, though, was distracted and worried about all these different types of things. But somehow Mary found the one thing that was needful, spending time with Jesus. We need to be careful that we're always focused and always motivated by that one thing that is most needful. Is that what you're focused on today? Is that why you're here today? Or do you focus on the drama, the problems, the church politics, the fun things, the temporary things? When was the last time you just sat back and spent time enjoying God like Mary did? One thing I've learned while working in churches for 12 or 15 years is that often the work of the church can get in the way of my worship to Jesus Christ. And many times we can be cumbered about when we walk in this door. I've got to do this, I've got to do that, I've got to do this. And because of that, we miss that one thing that is needful. Lord, help us not to miss that. Lord, help us to be conscious and to be careful, to be focused on Jesus Christ. See, a life focused on many things is not a life of peace, but a life focused on the peacemaker is. 
See, God did not save you so that he could have another being obey him any more than I had a son and a daughter so that I could have another person obey me. That would be pretty narcissistic, right? Borderline on insanity. I'm going to have more kids so I can have more people obey me. That's not the relationship that God wants to have with you. No, I desire a deep relationship with my son and daughter built on time and effort and real love. And that's what God desires with you. See, God has tens of thousands of angels that will obey him blindly. But you're different. He wants to interact with you. And just like you have a relationship with a husband or wife, a mom or dad, he wants to spend time with you. See, the difference between you and the angels is that you have the ability to, to say no to God. I don't want to have a relationship with you. I don't have time for you, God. I reject you. But that's why it means so much when you do choose to spend time sitting at the feet of Jesus Christ. Now, is it important for disobedience not to be in the way of our relationship with God? Absolutely. Just like it's important for my relationship with my son and daughter that disobedience not get in the way. But that is not the reason that we're made. Judah Smith has a theory that often we feel very comfortable in guilt because guilt makes a lot of sense to us. Guilt is logical, and in a weird way, it gratifies our flesh. I'm messed up. I'm so stupid. Uh, this serves me right. These type of statements make sense to us. But see, self-consciousness and self-pity are just self-centeredness in disguise. You sit and you focus on everything that you haven't done. See, guilt is logical. But what doesn't make sense to us is that Christ would forgive us and that he would give us his righteousness. That doesn't make sense, but praise God, it's the truth. See, living in condemnation doesn't help. It hurts us deeply. There have been times where my children have tried new things and they weren't immediately very good at it. And because they weren't good at it, immediately they said, I can't do it. And immediately they begin to get depressed about it. And I try and get them to try again. And no, I don't want to try again. I'm not good at it. I can't do it. And begin to get paralyzed by their doubt and their self-consciousness and their self-pity to the point that they won't do anything. They don't even want to try anymore because they failed. Can't talk them out of it. Trying again is not an option. They're paralyzed by the thought that they are not good enough. And some of you are there. So many of us live a life based on feeling. I feel bad, so I must be bad. I feel guilty, so I must be guilty. If I'm mad and disappointed with myself, then God must be mad and disappointed with me as well. But that's not God. That's a mirror of ourself. And that's not God's righteousness. That's self-righteousness. See, all you're doing is you're looking at your self and how you feel about yourself and you're saying that's how God feels about me too so we feel condemned and we believe we are condemned and since we think we are condemned we begin to work harder to regain favor with God instead of being confident and going boldly to God and asking for his grace to get back up and to move forward in our life instead we try and patch ourselves up 
and put ourselves back together so that we can attain a status of righteousness before God. But since we can't measure up to perfection, the more we try to earn grace, the more that we try and earn righteousness, the worse that we feel. I feel bad, so I believe I am bad. I work harder, I can't live up. And some of us are stuck in that cycle. I feel bad, so I believe I am bad. I work harder, I can't live up. So much easier to believe that we're sinners than that we're righteous. It's so much easier to believe that we're guilty now instead of that we're innocent. But see, as a believer, you are declared righteous, not through your actions, but through Jesus Christ. If you're here and you're saved and you have a relationship with Jesus Christ, Romans 5.19 tells us what, how it works, that through one man, Adam, sin entered the world. But through one man, we can have righteousness through Jesus Christ. It's a gift, and it's called grace. And that grace is greater than all of your sin. Adrian Rogers said this. He said, did you realize that as a redeemed person, as a believer, after you become saved, the Bible no longer refers to you as a sinner. The Bible after that refers to you as a saint. And why is that important for you to understand? You can imagine two people. They're in a field full of mud. One man has his overalls on and he's got his work boots on and a straw hat to boot. A little straw over here too. The other man is dressed up in a full tuxedo, white. Both of these men have to walk through this mire. Which one of you do you think is going to be more careful? The person that is dressed in the overalls, they'll probably slosh through the mud, right? No big deal. But the person that's dressed in a white tuxedo is going to be very careful about where they're stepping. See, if you have a wrong idea about what you're dressed in, see, you're no longer dressed in your righteousness. The Bible says instead that we're robed in the righteousness of Jesus Christ. So when we wake up every morning, we shouldn't wake up feeling like, man, I'm just a failure. I'm not going to be able to make it through the day. Here's another day where I'm going to fail God. No, instead we wake up realizing that we are robed in the righteousness of Jesus Christ. To be careful not to soil those garments in that day. Stop believing the lies that God is giving you the silent treatment. Stop believing the lies that God is angry at you. See, how much time do we waste as Jesus followers trying to recover what we had all along? God's love. He never left you. You fell and you crawled away. He wants to pick you back up now, dust you off like the prodigal son's father. You're walking up to the father like, God, I'll do this for you. I'll be a servant. And honestly, you don't even have to call me your son anymore. And he says, shut up. I'm going to kill the fatted calf. I'm going to uh, have a party here. Why? Because my son is home. Why did you leave me? Why did you stay away so long? Get the robe. Get the ring. My son is home. Let's celebrate. Stop trying to fix yourself. You can't do it. Just enjoy Jesus and let him do the changing. You can't fix yourself any more than you could save yourself. Martha, Martha, you're anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. 
Mary's chosen that good portion, which will not be taken away from her. Stop focusing on feeling condemned and remind yourself that you are forgiven. Stop feeling guilty and not enough and start feeling free. Instead of being troubled about with many things and about worry, remember that one thing that is needful. Start your day thanking God for the forgiveness that he has already granted you and that righteousness that he has already robed you in. How can you help it but to love and to serve a God like that? The challenge today is to run to Jesus. Spend time sitting at Jesus' feet like the choir just sang. Worshiping Jesus. Learning from Jesus. That is what you're missing. That one thing that is needful. You know where the feet of Jesus are found today? The feet of Jesus are found today in God's word. The feet of Jesus are found today in your prayer life, in your worship, in a gathering together with believers, indulging in God's word and applying it to your life. That's where the feet of Jesus are today. There was once a man that was hitchhiking with a big sack of potatoes on his arm. A truck pulled up. The man got in holding that sack of potatoes. They drove for a little while. The driver was a little bit confused. What's going on here? And he says, hey, man, you can just put the potatoes in the back. But the hitchhiker says, no, don't worry about it. You're already giving me a ride. I'll carry the potatoes. And see, some of us do that with our Christian walk. We think God's big enough to save us, but we have to bear the weight of our sin. We have to bear the guilt for a little while. But look, so many of us are distracted by religion and we miss Jesus. Don't let it's not enough rule your life. Christ is enough for the both of you. I know you have doubts about yourself, but instead of believing those doubts, doubt your doubts and believe Christ. Thank Jesus this morning and welcome him into your house. Spend time with him sitting at his feet. Absolutely, there's many things that you could focus on today, but don't miss the one needful thing. Let's stand on our feet and bow our heads. The worship team's going to come. The question for you today is, when was the last time you just sat at the feet of Jesus? When was the last time you just spent time heaping praise And worshiping him. Not worried about how embarrassing it would be to get on your knees and wipe Jesus' feet with your hair. Not worrying how much it would cost you. Not thinking about all the things you need to do and how you're not enough and how you're not ready and how you're not worthy. Being anxious and stressed out. Don't miss the one Every head's bowed, every eye's closed. As they play softly, the altar is open this morning. God dealt with your heart about anything today. You come down and deal with God about it. These times are times of action. We don't want to go through a Sunday just going through the motions, making sure everything was okay. We want to have that one thing. We want to leave here knowing and being obvious that we spent time at the feet of Jesus Christ. 
Maybe you're here this morning and you say, to be honest, Pastor Phil, I'm not even sure that if I died today that I would even go to heaven. I'm not sure I'm saved. I can't point back to my salvation experience where I called out to God, said, God, I know I'm a sinner. I know I can't be good enough to make it to heaven. Please forgive me. The Bible says that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Because we have a perfect and a holy God, he cannot fellowship with sin. And when sin entered the world, it broke our relationship with God. In fact, the Bible says that the wages of our sin is death. That means what we earn and what we deserve for our sin is death. And it's more than just a physical death. It's a separation from God in a place called hell. But Romans 5.8 tells us that God sent what the Bible calls is the second Adam. Sin entered the world through the first Adam, but through the second Adam, that sacrifice covered our sin. And Romans 5.8 says that God commended his love towards us. Even though we were sinners, Christ died for us. The Bible says, Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. You've got to understand some things in order to know for sure that when you leave this place, that you have a real relationship with Jesus Christ. You've got to know you're a sinner. You've got to understand that your sin costs you something. And because of your sin, you've earned punishment but that Jesus Christ paid that price and he took your place and he stood in the gap and you simply have to receive that gift and call upon the name of Jesus Christ with something like this dear Jesus I know that I'm a sinner and I know because of my sin that I deserve hell Please forgive me. I'm turning from my sin and I'm turning to you. Thank you, Lord, for saving me. The words aren't important. It's not a magic prayer. What's more important is that your heart is genuine. With every head bowed and eyes closed, if you made that choice today, you're not playing games, you're not ashamed of what you just did. If you made that choice today, no one's looking around. I'm not going to come to you with a mic or anything crazy like that. I just want to be able to pray for you this morning. If you slip your hand up right now, no one else is looking around. I just want to pray for you. Say, I made that choice today. I made that decision. Amen. See that hand. Anyone else? Amen. Dear Jesus, we thank you for that one that accepted Christ today. God, I pray you give them the boldness to come and talk to me about it so that I can walk through what it means now that they've accepted Jesus Christ. God, I pray as they begin this journey, God, that you would help us as a church to come alongside them and to do what's necessary. Lord, we love you. In your name we pray. Amen.